My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode five of season four. Today, I'm introducing you to a remarkable musician, Maria Bovan de Labe. Maria is a Swedish drummer who has lived in Norway for many years and who does not sound like other drummers. She has a magical playing style, using a wide variety of instruments, and is also known as the originator of an approach to playing called mindful drumming, which is also applicable to other forms of music and performance. This is an inspiring conversation interspersed with some of Maria's music, and one that could help you conjure up some magic of your own by bringing a little more mindfulness and intention to your own creative work. Before the interview, I'd like to share some thoughts on a phenomenon I encounter a lot when I coach high-achieving creatives which I call the creative credit crunch. I have a question for you. Do you give yourself enough credit? I'm asking because I'm guessing you probably don't, and that therefore you could benefit from instituting a credit practice in your life. Now, you may have heard of a gratitude practice. This is where you set aside a little time every day to remember all the good things you have in your life that other people have done for you or that your environment and your surroundings and your society provide for you. A gratitude practice is a wonderful thing to do. And if you haven't tried it yet, I encourage you to give it a go. It can make a big difference to your level of happiness and contentment with life. But by definition, a gratitude practice is about what you receive from others and from elsewhere. It leaves out what you bring to the party, and for a certain kind of person, that leaves out a big source of dissatisfaction and unnecessary suffering. On a bad day, a gratitude practice might even leave you feeling worse about your situation. Look at all the great things other people have done for me, and I'm still not happy. What kind of person am I? Now, if you heard the interview with Rich Litvin from season three of the podcast, then you might remember what he had to say about the downside of success. Just doing a lot of deep work on myself, realizing that I've been a high performer for a long time, for most of my life. I've always aimed high. I've always been really ambitious. Um, still to this moment, to this day, when I, when I have a success in something or other, I give myself, see if you recognize this one, I give myself about 25 seconds to acknowledge myself before I look at how could I have done it better, bigger, different, improved it, or I'm looking into the future like, what am I doing next? And, 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 and this is, this is the, the blessing and the curse 
of being a visionary, of being a creative, is that you're future focused. You're always looking out there into the future. I can certainly relate to Rich's words here. But where Rich and I are lucky is that we are both coaches to high achievers, so we know this isn't just us. In fact, this attitude is epidemic among high achievers. We have high standards, we push ourselves, we're not satisfied with good enough the way most people are. Which means we can achieve and create great things. But the flip side is we're never satisfied, even when we do something amazing. We can always see the flaws that other people don't notice. We can always compare ourselves to someone else who has done something similar but far better. So if you relate to this and you find it hard to give yourself credit for your achievements, then I invite you to experiment with adding a credit practice into your life where you deliberately give yourself more credit than usual. Here's how it works. Every day, or at least once a week, stop and consciously give yourself credit for any and all of the following things that you have done today or this week. The effort you put into your work. Any specific achievements you can point to. Any times when you were brave and did the scary thing. Any times when you were tempted to take a shortcut or to compromise your principles and you did the right thing. And lastly, any times when you were irritated with someone else, but you were compassionate and kind towards them. Even if you can't think of much in any of these categories for today or this week, you can always go back and remind yourself of things you've done in the past. I mean, you still did them, so they still count. The credit practice is even more powerful if you do it with someone else, such as a friend or a partner. So my wife and I have a tradition of doing a weekly review on a Friday night. We have a glass of wine and look back on the week and tell each other all the things we did this week that we're proud of. We also remind each other of great things the other one did that they overlooked or forgot about. So whether it's been a good or bad week in terms of results and outcomes, it's always a great way to start the weekend. We both feel good about the efforts we made, and it makes it a little easier to relax and let go of work and enjoy a well-earned rest. Another aspect of a credit practice is to set up physical reminders of your past achievements so that even you can't forget about them and dismiss them. So, for instance, one corner of a bookshelf in my office is where I keep all the magazines my poems have been published in and all the anthologies and collections of competition winners. So, if I've had a particularly disappointing rejection, or if I'm feeling doubtful about something I've written today, I occasionally look at that shelf as a reminder of the successes I've achieved. So, there's probably an equivalent for you, whether you have trophies in a cabinet or even just putting up some of your work on the wall or having it handy in a, you know, a file on your desktop, but somewhere where it's, you can easily go to remind yourself of past success in some tangible form that you, you can't argue it away because it actually exists. Now, 
Whenever I invite a client to begin a credit practice, they nearly always have the same two concerns. Firstly, they don't want to turn into an egomaniac with an inflated sense of their own importance. And secondly, they don't want to get lazy. They've achieved a lot by being hard on themselves, so they worry that if they start easing up, they might start to be satisfied with achieving less. But look, if you can relate to my description of the high achiever who doesn't give yourself enough credit for your achievements, I think you can relax on both fronts. Firstly, you're probably not going to turn into an arrogant idiot overnight. And even if you did, you very likely have plenty of people in your life who would tell you. I also think it's highly unlikely you will lose your motivation to achieve great things. It's much too deeply rooted for that. The credit practice is really a counterbalance to your tendency to be too self-critical. So you would have to give yourself a hell of a lot of undeserved credit for you to shift the balance so far that you lost perspective on things altogether. And in all the years I've taught this to clients, I've never seen it happen to somebody. And a credit practice is not about singing your own praises all day, every day. It's for the end of the working day or the end of the working week, when your energy's depleted and you've given it your all. On Monday morning, when it's time to start work again, you can be as rigorous about your work and as demanding of yourself as ever. The only difference is, on a Monday morning, if you've really given yourself credit and taken some time out to recharge, you'll probably find you have even more energy and enthusiasm for your next big challenge. One of the themes I keep returning to in this podcast is the idea that the times we're living in are a two-edged sword. On the one hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented creative stimulation via the internet, social media, accelerating technology, and an always-on working culture. And on the other hand, we're living in an age of unprecedented distraction from focused creative work, from all the same sources. And the biggest concern for many creatives is a nagging sense that their most important work is being left undone. If you're excited by the opportunities of the creative age, but worried about the effect of all those digital distractions on your creativity, then I've written a book for you. Productivity for Creative People. It's a short, practical guide to getting creative work done in the 21st century based on my own experience as a writer, creative entrepreneur, and father. All the ideas in the book have been road-tested in my coaching practice with creative professionals like you. So, if you want to create extraordinary work without necessarily disappearing to a cabin in the woods or even giving up your smartphone, check out Productivity for Creative People at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. That's 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash productivity. Maria Bovan de Labbe 
is a Swedish drummer, artist, and teacher, living on a peninsula in the fjord of Oslo, Norway. She has played many different types of music, including hard rock, pop, blues, big band, Balkan music, classical orchestra music, modern chamber music, and improvised music. Her playing incorporates a range of instruments and techniques from the classic rock drum kit to traditional hand drums from the Middle East. She is best known for mindful drumming, an approach that's less about fast and furious rhythms and more about mindfulness, playfulness, lightness, and melody. It's hard to describe, but unforgettable when you hear Maria play. As well as performing herself, she teaches drummers, singers, and other musicians how to play more mindfully and to develop their own unique style. I first met Maria via my blog, and we followed each other's work for several years. Last year, I coached Maria as she created her first solo show, Solitude, which she performed in Oslo to rapturous reception. The better I get to know Maria and her music, the more respect I have for her dedication to her art. In this conversation, Maria talks about her journey as a musician, including how drumming helped in her recovery from anorexia, and what it's like to be a woman in the male-dominated world of drumming. She also talks about the creation of Solitude, her first solo show, and the surprising discoveries she made while teaching drumming to pregnant women for a research project. Listen to this conversation for a great example of commitment to an art in the face of inner and outer challenges. You'll also hear Maria play her drums and experience mindful drumming for yourself. Maria, could we start with some music, please? Of course, Mark. Where did you learn to play like that? Oh. Um, actually, this drum, I haven't played this drum for so long. Uh, I started to learn to play the frame drums with an American woman called Lane Redmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was a pioneer in bringing this drum. I mean, it's an old, very old drum that you can find in all cultures. So tell us what it looks like, because we can't see. We'll put a we'll put a picture and a video in the in the show notes. But just describe it to us now. So if you can imagine uh, just a, a circle shaped wooden frame 
with a skin on one of the sides. So it's a very simple round shape with one skin. So when I first saw that, I thought, and I heard you play, I thought of the, the shamans. Yeah. Who would use the drum as the kind of the horse on the journey into the spirit world. Would it have been the same kind of drum that they would use, or is that just me being romantic about it? No, it's very similar. The, uh, actually, it's this, I would say that it's the same drum, but the difference is how you play it. And mm-hmm not the least, the intention behind it. So the shamans often use a bone or a stick to play the drum. Yeah. Uh, And I play with the fingers. And the technique I play is from the Middle East. Oh. Yeah. So, for example, uh, in Scandinavia, we have the Sami people from up north, and they Mm -hmm. have a drum similar to this, uh, but they play it with a stick. Right. And you are originally from Sweden. Yes. And you've been living in Norway for a while. For a long time. So what what was that like? What what age did you move and what was the experience like for you? So um, for me, I never thought actually, to be honest, uh, about moving to Norway. But when I was around 20... Uh, my only goal was to get a spot in a music conservatory or an academy of music. Mm-hmm. So I applied in Sweden and in Norway. And I was approved in Norway at the music conservatory. And then I just took my sticks and a few clothes on the train. And I said, ciao, I go to Norway. So, and then I've stayed. I still love Stockholm, my hometown, but it seems it's meant to be that I live here. And what was it about the drums that attracted you in the first place? Oh, wow. Um, The first time I sat down behind the drum kit, I think it was about 12 years old. And I think that moment changed my life. And luckily for me, my music teacher at that time, he saw that something happened to me. So he said, why don't you come here from time to time and I can teach you to play drums. And that was the start. And it actually changed my life because before that, I had another plan for my life. So it was love at first sight or first touch with the drums? Definitely. It It felt like coming home. What kind of drum was it? A, a typical drum kit or? Typical drum kit, yes. Yes. And so you started playing at school. Mm-hmm. And how, where did your journey go from there as a musician? So um, after that, short after that, actually, I got sick in anorexia. So mm-hmm. for um, at least half a year, I was in another world you could say. Uh, And then when I started to come back from that, I think the drums helped me a lot. They became my sort of refuge. And Mm -hmm. I got a drum teacher, an Argentinian guy. Um, He was lovely, but when he saw me the first time, I promise you, he stepped two two steps back. Uh, But he... 
I think he must have seen something in me because he started to put me in small ensembles and he wanted me to play jazz. He loved jazz. We always had this little discussion because I wanted to play rock and he wanted me to play jazz. <laughs> and he said, you got to choose. And yeah, we went back and forth like this. Why do you think he took a step back when he first saw you? Because I was so thin. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think he got a bit afraid, actually. But for you, the the drumming helped you in your recovery from anorexia? Yeah, it was my space to go to where no one bothered me. No one told me how to be. Uh, just could, I felt that I could just be myself. And I started to play in bands in Stockholm. I played blues and pop and big band and everything. And it was the only thing I wanted to do. And why drums? Why not guitar? Why not, I don't know, singing or keyboards or or whatever? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Actually, no one in my family uh, plays an instrument. Uh, I played a little piano when I was maybe seven, eight, but it never never called me. When I sat down behind the drums, it was like a calling. That's what I felt. I still feel them very close. Uh, I still have a huge respect for the drums. And there is something with the simplicity of the drum. And that's, I think it's so beautiful. It's so basic. It's rhythm, but Mm -hmm. I always hear melodies in the rhythm, in the rhythms. Mm -hmm. So I feel them both physically, but also connected with them on the level that it's hard to put words to. I mean, it's got to be one of the oldest instruments, hasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And they have, um... <laughs> it doesn't get a lot more basic than banging something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, if you go many, many years back, you can find a drum in, I think, almost all cultures. Maybe flutes also. Ah, okay. I remember Javier Whaler when he came on couple of seasons ago he, he's a drummer too and he said he thing he loves about the drums is it, he can channel his inner caveman yeah <laughs> uh, which is I guess the historical <laughs> viewpoint but you know drumming is a pretty macho world isn't it it's typically a guy behind the drums in most bands yeah what's it been like for you being in a woman a woman in in such a male dominated world it's it has been a very double-edged sword, I should say, mm-hmm. because uh, I've felt home with the guys. For example, when I've been to master classes and it's just guys and me, twenty-five guys and me, I feel very home because it's my, it's the drum world, it's my world. Yeah. But at the same time, I tried for many years to play like a guy, fast and strong and yeah and. It hurt me because I got pain in my arms and yeah, it was just, just wasn't me. And then I realized, but come on, look at you. (laughs) You can't play like a muscleless man. You have to play like you. You are not, you're more, um, people have always told me that I'm dancing, that I play. It's never something that I try to do, Uh, but I think. Actually, dance is one of my secret passions. I always look at dance videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I've worked 
quite a lot with dancers and I love working with dancers. So in a way, it makes sense. So now my focus is to play like me. I think actually that's a theme in my life to just let me be me. Mm-hmm. Just let me play like me and just let me be like I am. Well, you know, when I hear you play, when I look at your face on the video as you're playing, you, you seem totally yourself in your own skin, in your own space. And and I guess maybe this is the goal for any artist is to find their own voice or their own way of, of playing or performing or, or, or whatever it is that they create. But it's not easy to get there, huh? No, it's not. Um, it's been a long travel and it still is. I see it as a playing an instrument. For me, it's a journey and it's, I think it's a lifelong journey and you will take your hits and you will doubt and, and then suddenly you're in the flow and uh, it can be three seconds. And you, I promise you can practice a thousand hours to get to those three seconds and it's worth it. Wow. So what is your typical day like? Yeah, so a typical day, and this is also a work in progress to working like this, uh, to find the a rhythm in your day that suits you. It's also a journey. Mm-hmm. So, but what I do now is I go up early in the morning, 6, 6.30, I do some Pilates, and then I make breakfast, and I drink Swedish coffee. And uh, while I do that, first I write some things, some thoughts for the day, what I want to do, or, and maybe an intention for the day. And then I pick up my drum and I warm up and I practice on the pieces I'm working on right now. Maybe I come up with some new ideas. And then after maybe a couple of hours, I go to my studio. Studio. It's it's a small house in my garden. It's not a real studio, like a recording studio, but it's my studio. Uh, and then I usually warm up behind the kit. And maybe I do some things that I'm working on there. Maybe I have to rehearse something for a song for my band, for example. And then I have lunch around 12.30. Uh, Maybe I take a nap if I'm smart, if I'm wise enough. (laughs) And then I go back to work. And then the afternoon, I always feel my energy goes a bit down. So I try to put my uh, expectations for the afternoon down. And instead see that if I get anything done, it's really good. And then I can work on a composition. Uh, I can do office work like emails, websites, social media. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I will always play something. And then I try to relax in the evening if I don't have a gig. Preferably I have a gig. And you play... You've got the frame drum, you've got a drum kit, you've got all kinds of weird and wonderful things yeah. in the studio, haven't you? Talk, mm-hmm. talk us through some of the, the range of instruments you play. So uh, I play the frame drums and I'm learning to play the darbuka. 
uh, it's also, it has a similar technique to the frame drum, the technique from Middle East. And, and sorry, sorry, what, what is it? Taibuka? Darbuka. Darbuka. So it's a time glass shaped drum in clay. In clay? Mm-hmm. It's in clay, yeah. So Like an hourglass yes, shape? Yes, exactly. Okay, we need, a, we need a photo for the show yeah. notes, please. I will give you a photo, of course. It's a beautiful drum. Uh, you have to be very careful with it, though. Uh, and then I have a marimba. Since I studied classic music also, uh, I studied marimba. Mm-hmm. So a marimba, for the one who doesn't know, it's, um, it's like a piano, but in wood. So a marimba, it's a big xylophone or a huge xylophone. So I think my marimba weighs about 120 kilos. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful instrument, but it's a bit heavy to move it. But you can divide it in parts. But the sound is beautiful. Right, mm. right. Well, I think I've seen you in one of the videos playing that. So, um, folks, if you go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash Maria, then we will make sure we have some video and we have some uh, photos of Maria and her repertoire of drums. So you have a band. Tell us about the band and, and what it's like playing with them. So uh, the band is a trio. It's me who play uh, the drum kit and uh, frame drums. And we have a double bass player, Doug. Mm-hmm. And then we have a singer uh, who also plays the guitar and he writes the songs. Uh, his name is Shur. It's almost an impossible name to say even for me as a Swede. It's a mm-hmm. Norwegian name. So we play very soulful, um, a little bit jazzy music. We had a gig last night in a cafe. Uh, it's very, very chill. And what's the name of the band? Sweet Like Time. And again, do we have a link that we can Yeah, we have a small trailer on, on my YouTube channel that I could uh, give you. Okay. Okay, well, we'll we'll put something in the show notes there about the band. So you play in the band, you played with various bands, Mm -hmm. but also these days increasingly you're performing and recording as a solo artist. What's the difference like between the two? The difference is huge because as a drummer, as I see it, my job as a drummer is to support the other musicians. Mm -hmm. Like providing a, a ground for them to dance on. That's how I see it. Right. Because I should never be in the front as a drummer in a band. But then I took the step and thought, I want to do a solo show. And it freaked me out. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, being an introvert, it was quite cool to work with yourself or uh, alone. Right. So it suited me. Um, so then... When I did my first solo show last year, Solitude, I, uh, I actually created the, the whole thing. So I came up with this idea. I wrote the music. I performed. I set the stage. Yeah. I had a sound engineer on the day of the concert. Uh, but besides that, I designed the poster. I put it out in social media and it never felt the thing that I did everything 
it never felt hard. It never felt like it was too much. It felt, actually felt nice. Uh, the thing that was hard was all the work before I landed on a theme, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I tried to get funding, for example, and I got no and no and no in the budget. I had a producer at, uh, at a point, which felt lovely to have a producer. Yeah. I was so proud and we had a huge budget and big plans. But to be honest, we hadn't uh, landed on the right theme. Mm-hmm. And we got no on all the uh, applications. Yeah. And the producer left and I was there alone again. And I I packed the whole project for a while. But then I took it up again and I thought, no, I will do this. But now I will do it by myself. And mm-hmm. I will do it really low budget. And then I wrote uh, a new application. And I landed on a theme that was very, it felt, it made so much sense. So that was solitude. And I got my first yes. And it was not a lot of money. But since I had made it a low budget project, Mm -hmm. I could do it with those money. So I did. So I think this is a really important lesson for us all because whatever your field as a creative, you're going to experience rejection. You're going to experience no after no after no, if you're like most of us. And what I like about this, Maria, I mean, okay, you, it was a setback and you did, you did press pause for a while, but then you came back and you came and you thought, well, how can I make this work? And you came back with a low budget version of it, which actually tied in very stripped down, tied in very well with your theme of solitude. Yes. So what, how do you dig deep at that point where you've got no, 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 because it's easy to look on the website. And if you could look on the website, you can see pictures and video of Maria performing and ecstatic audiences and wonderful comments from audience members about the, you know, the amazing show. And it's easy to look on the outside and say, wow, you know, wouldn't it be amazing to be up there? But tell us, where did you get the strength to bounce back from that? no and and say no i am going to make this happen i think i had the knowing inside that i just had to do this for myself and it was also i told myself that i will do this and i will kick out doubt forever because <laughs> uh, i've always had the doubt i think many artists do it's maybe a part of it you doubt and you meet challenges, you struggle, but then you have those moments, those short moments, like the one I explained before, uh, when everything flows or you play a concert and somebody comes to you afterwards and say, you touched my heart. I mean, what else can you ask for? It's the most beautiful comment I can get. Yeah. So, um, you asked me how I find the strength. I think I have the strength within me. So I connected with that and I refused to let myself off the hook. Because, of course, I was about to quit many times. Right. And I still am. Because you would have had the perfect excuse, wouldn't you? Say, well, I tried. I did my best, but I just didn't get the money. So Yeah, it would be 
yeah, kind of perfect excuse. But since if you do it first for yourself, as I thought that I would kick out doubt with this, if I quit, that would be a total failure. And why solitude is the thing? Solitude is something very precious for me. Solitude to me is freedom. It's space. It's being alone. I have the best parties alone. <laughs> but if I'm invited to a party with 50 people, I do everything I can to come up with some stupid uh, explanation why I can't come. So solitude for me is also like my bubble, my creative bubble. Yeah. It's uh, sitting, looking at the moon at night, coming up with ideas. It's being in my studio. Also, I think solitude has a touch of sadness because maybe if solitude is your refuge, um, maybe you had to be there at one time in your life. For me, it's a safe place. It's where I'm untouchable. Well, as an introvert myself, I can certainly relate to all of that. And But there's also there's a lovely paradox, isn't there? Creating a, a show about solitude and sharing it with people, which you did so beautifully. And you, you, know, you, had, a full, you had a full space full of people applauding solitude. Yeah, it was really a pleasure to, to share that place uh, or that space. Mm, and the venue was a big white room in Oslo, in the capital. Uh, mm -hmm. And it doesn't have a stage. So I was at the same level as the audience, which I love. So somebody said, so you're an introvert, but you are doing a solo show. How? It doesn't work together. But for me, that space when I play, it's, I said, it's something, it's uh, somewhere I'm, untouchable so it has to do with that like when I'm in that space I can take a lot of people it's easier when I play than if I need for example to speak should we have some more music yes So, Maria, you describe what you do as mindful drumming. Could you tell us what you mean by mindful drumming? How do you practice that? So, mindful drumming is an approach to drumming. That uh, the intention is to include all aspects of drumming. So, the emotional part, the mental, of course, the technical, but also the spiritual part. So I see it as a very warm approach, present approach, and also an approach that includes, it's about connecting the body, the mind, and the soul with playing. And it doesn't have to be drumming. For me, it's drumming. But for another musician, it 
it's them playing their instrument. So uh, awareness is key. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? And also, what's your intention behind it? So at first, when I came up with this approach or concept, uh, I got an idea after I uh, wrote a master thesis in music therapy, where I I explored pregnant women's experience of drumming during pregnancy, and that was very strong, um, and the results were very strong. And so, what the the women were drumming? Yeah, they were drumming with me. Yeah, with you. Okay, tell mm-hmm. us about this. This sounds very interesting. Yeah, so I got an idea because uh, when I gave birth to my uh, youngest son, I brought a drum to the to the hospital, and they looked at me as I was a monkey. <laughs> they came in and looked at me. What is she doing? She's playing the drum. <laughs> yeah, really. But, you know, it was lovely. They probably don't see that very often, do they? No, I don't think so. <laughs> By their looks, no, never. Um, so I sat playing the drum very simply, uh, just a simple beat. Yeah. But it's amazing what a simple beat can do with you because it calls presence. Yeah. It also uh, affects your brain waves. So after drumming 10 minutes, the brain waves, the different halves of the brain start to speak with each other and... Uh, the brain waves uh, flatten out. So it's very something very physical. So I thought, hmm, this is something I could do, try out with other women when I uh, uh, write my master thesis. Mm-hmm. So I did, and it was lovely. And one of the strong results was mindfulness. Uh, and then... Um, so the, the women, I mean, did they play in a... A weekly class with you? Did they have to go away and practice on their own? What What was their practice? They didn't have to practice at all. They just came to me. I think it was once a week for six or eight weeks, mm, and we had we spent one or one and a half hours together. Yeah. And um, I have divided mindful drumming in five steps. So I kind of they are very loose, but it's like a um, the building blocks. Mm-hmm. So the five steps are introduction, warm-up, program, silence, and sharing. And I've actually um, realized that these five steps, you can put them into anything. So I can, for example, uh, if I teach at the Norwegian Academy, I can plan the lesson after these steps. If I have a private mm-hmm. student, I can do the same. And the silence part has become more and more, it takes more and more space. And it's something that many of my students tell me it's a very powerful part of silence. I'm just pausing to appreciate the silence. I think the equivalent in poetry is all the white space we have around the poem. Yeah. That's one of the things that makes poetry different to prose is that there's a lot of white space i guess that would be the equivalent of silence for a musician i think so yes so without it there's no music there's no words Hmm. and listening to most drummers you don't get a lot of silence do you not much (laughs) 
<laughs> Maybe that's why I need it so much. Yeah. So what results did you get with the women in the, the study? It was so strong. Um, an example. There was one woman. She had a child from before. This was her uh, second pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed her before we started to drum. And she was stressed out. She didn't feel any connection with their body. And she said, it could be anything in my stomach. It could be my colons. And then afterwards, after our sessions together, I made an interview again. And she said, now I have a connection with the baby. I talk to her. I sing to her. Wow. Yeah. Another woman said, and this was after we had made a, we could call it a drum meditation. We just go into space and drum, follow the rhythms for, yeah, this was also, this is parenthesis, but uh, time got very timeless. So if we drum 10 minutes or 45 minutes, it didn't matter at all. And no one knew the difference. Yeah. And after one of the sessions, she said, she was quiet first. And then she said, yeah. So now me and my baby have experienced life and death together. Gosh. Beautiful. <laughs> wow. This is, this is amazing stuff. Yeah. So life and death. And also I'm hearing about the body as well, that, it, that there's a strong connection to the body, to being embodied in, you know, in our modern world, but especially with all the digital distractions, it's very easy to be in a mindless space or in a, just in a headspace. Very. But, but there's something very physical about the drums, It's right? very physical, and a part of mindful drumming is being aware of the mind, but at the same time putting the mind aside. And I think to do that, you have to first be aware of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. It's like going down into the body, and the drums or the rhythms will help you, doing, will help you do that. Okay, so tell me a bit more about your work as a teacher. So you work with drummers Mm -hmm. but you also work with other kinds of musicians is that right yeah i do so uh since i have this thought that we need to focus on all the aspects of drumming i could very well or i do work with other musicians too Mm -hmm. Uh, and then i can't work i can't for example now i work with a vocalist yeah Uh, i can't work with her singing technique of course but there's so much more the mental, like support her, guide her, yeah. uh, not the least guide her to find her unique path. I think that is key to be a good teacher, to not have this idea that your students should be like you. For me, that, oh, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> we, I would like my wishes to uh, guide them and support them to becoming themselves. Because you're always the best when you're just yourself. So finding you, you your unique self. And um, it's also about finding, finding your strengths, but it's also finding the weaknesses. The weaknesses you need to work on, but also the weaknesses that you need to drop. Because like me, I found out I'm not a big guy, a big muscular guy. Yeah. Not all guys are big muscles, of course, but I try to play like one. And to just drop that, I mean, you can't do that. It's not physically uh, possible. So drop it. Don't fight it. So that's uh, 
a wish when I teach. So that journey that you went on Mm -hmm. of finding your way of playing, that's one of the things you help your Mm -hmm. students with. Yeah, I think that is what I burn for because I know how hard it is and I know how helpful it is to have somebody to support you. And I know from talking to you that, say, drumming and musicianship in general there's, there's a lot of emphasis on technique and it and rightly so because you you know you it does require skill and, and and diligence and practice but what i'm hearing from you is you your work starts at the point where skill and technique start yeah that's very well said yeah i want to be the teacher that i always wished for myself and that's more like a mentor or coach that is so uh, giving Okay. So if somebody wants to explore this approach to playing mm-hmm. or performing, is there a page on your site? Could they go and contact yeah, you course. there about that? My website, uh, com. I'm sure you will put links. Yeah, I'll put the link in and just to spell it out. It's B-O-V-I-N-D-E-L-A-B-B-E.com. Yes. So what's next for you, Maria? So... Right now, I'm working with a, I got an idea to do a mini solo program. So it's just two short mm-hmm. sets of like 10 or 15 minutes each, uh, including just a few drums so I can carry them with me to do at, for example, events. I could come to the event, to the event and play two short sets and add something to the event that I, for example, didn't expect or mm. something. Um, That is just something totally else, something different from what they are there to do. So it will be a short magic break. And uh, I'm also thinking about my next solo show. So the first was Solitude and my next one, the the title is Black and White. And it will be about my experience of anorexia. Wow, another bold move for you. Yeah, I think it feels like the right direction to go because of course that experience changed my life and it has been with me since then so i it makes sense to make a sh- uh, to make music about it and how does black and white relate to anorexia oh it's about the black and white thinking yeah uh. everything is very black and white yes or no it's very strict the I mean, there's different uh, kinds of anorexia, but the ones that I have is the most restrictive one. And then you're very strict. Everything is limited. And um, yeah, I thought, no, I haven't thought about this before. Uh, I always talk about space and freedom. And that place is just the opposite. There's no space there and there's no freedom. It's just strict and it's rules and it's hard. And, you know, one of the things that strikes me about your playing is that there's there's so many little subtle shades and colors and different gradations. So I'll be really interested to hear how you, what you make of black and white. So black and white is, it's about opposites. Uh, One piece that I'm working on is called Paradox. Another one is called Peculiar. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very, if I like zoom out, I should say it's very... It's small and big, it's white and black, it's space, it's no space, it's silent, it's a lot of sound, maybe not so much in the middle. I think it's time for a final piece of music, please. 
So, Maria, we're now at the point of the interview where we turn the spotlight on the listener. And this is where my guest will set you a creative challenge. So something that you can do or start to do within the next seven days that's related to the theme of this interview that will help you in your creative journey. So, Maria, what challenge would you like to set the listener? So I have found or I um, want to give the dear listeners a challenge or the challenge to listen to their heartbeat every day this week. And I uh, encourage you to uh, connect this with something that you do daily so you don't forget about it. Like when after you drink your morning coffee or after you brush your teeth and you just sit comfortably however you want, make it simple, and you try to sense your heartbeat. And this can be, it's not so easy when you haven't done it before, but then Mm -hmm. we can cheat. So then you can put your (laughs) index and your middle finger on the vein on the throat, on the side of the throat, or on the uh, inside of the wrist, Uh and there you can feel the pulse. So just listen to it, feel it, and relax into it with the knowing that this is the rhythm that carries you through life. That's it. You don't get much more fundamental than that, do you? No. That's what's so beautiful with it. And that's probably the answer to the, my earlier question about why drumming. I mean, it's fundamental to life, that beat. We, talk, we say a heartbeat, mm-hmm. don't we? It's very grounding. So after doing this challenge for a week or however long you want to, I would love to hear from you. So just put up, uh, write a comment on the 21st Century Creative page. Great. And that's at, as I said before, 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash Maria. Just scroll down beneath the, the interview transcript and you will find the, you can leave your comment there. Maria, thank you. As always, it's been a, a magical experience listening to you and being in thank your you world. Thank you so much, Mark. So where can people go to experience more of your music and also the ones who are curious to learn from you, maybe as students or to have you perform at their event? Where, where can people go? So uh, the, my webpage is my home for everything where you can find uh, videos, you can find the event page and the teaching page. They're easy to find in the menu. So, so this is at bovandalabe.com exactly. again. Yes. And then I have my YouTube channel. Put a link to that one yeah. uh, where I have my videos of my small compositions. I have a trailer with my band. And also I have a quite active uh, Facebook artist page. So mm-hmm. it's slash Maria Bovin de la Bé. We will put a link to that too. And yeah. I'm on Instagram at the, with the same name. It's just my name. And I would love to hear from people. Yeah. Connect with me. Say hi. Lovely. Thank you, Maria. As always, you've been really generous and inspiring. And I'm sure this is something that people are going to listen to maybe more than once. So thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to the 21st Century Creative, hosted by Mark McGuinness. You can find the notes for today's show with more information about my guest and links to the sites we mentioned, as well as all the backlist episodes of the podcast 
at 21stCenturyCreative.fm. If you enjoyed the show, I do hope you'll subscribe in iTunes, and I'm always grateful if you could take a couple of seconds to just go to the iTunes podcast app and give the show a rating. If you'd like to have the 21st Century Creative Foundation course delivered to you for free, giving you 26 lessons of advice and worksheets on carving out an original creative career, you can sign up for the course at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash free course. And if you are an experienced creative and you're curious about getting my help as a private coaching client, then the first step is to go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching questions and answer the questions on that page. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again soon.